0: Well, it's summertime at the gathering, and uh, what that means for us is that we're taking a pause from the usual sermon series that we have during sort of spring and fall, and the teaching team over this summer period has been sharing what we've called journal entries. In other words, we have been looking at how God has been speaking to us, how he's been working in our lives, and then we've been sharing those with the church. And so when I was asked to teach this morning, I knew instantly, what I wanted to share with you and something that God's been doing in, uh, in my life, in my family's life, perhaps I can put it this way. Some of you might remember a classic Hugh Grant's movie, Four Weddings and a Funeral. Well, the last 12 months or so in our family has been four graduations and a wedding. Now, that's kind of an, an understatement. So uh, last summer, the, the summer started off. Our daughter, Olivia, was interning here. She'd just gotten engaged. Our son, Nathan, graduated from college, Uh, we went through a summer and our daughter then graduated the following semester from college, Nathan was at grad school, he graduated from grad school, I graduated from my PhD studies, Uh, we had a marriage in there as well, there was just a lot of busyness going on. And all these are good things, in and of themselves, there were times for celebration. If I tell you this, there were points, especially last fall, where I felt the strain, the pressure of everything that was going on around. I knew these were things to be celebrated, but at times I, just, I didn't know how to function. I felt like a plate spinner. Do you know what I mean? If I say a plate spinner, you ever see someone like that? Yeah, they spin a plate and they, they, they get many, many different plates going. Well, I'm usually fairly good at spinning a number of plates together, but last fall, I felt a number of them metaphorically crashing. I felt like it would take the smallest thing and I would just flip out. It reminded me of another movie, Father of the Bride, Steve Martin. Yeah, his daughter's getting married and there's this one scene, he's, you know, he's been dealing with and struggling with all the pressure of and strain of the wedding and he's in a grocery store buying hot dog buns and he just flips out. In fact, if you've not seen it, here it is. Here's the clip, Father of the Bride. <laughs> Nina said, as long as I was escaping, would I mind escaping to the market and picking up something for dinner. Sure, that was all I needed, a busy supermarket. I needed to drive, mellow out, get my mind off the wedding. But mellowing out was not in the cards. Yeah. 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 Excuse me, sir, what are you doing? I'll tell you what I'm doing. I want to buy eight hot dogs and eight hot dog buns to go with them. But no one sells eight hot dog buns. They only sell 12 hot dog buns. So I end up paying for four buns I don't need. So I am removing the superfluous buns. Uh, I'm sorry, sir, but you're gonna have to pay for all 12 buns. They're not marked individually. Yeah, you wanna know why? Because some big shot over at the Wiener Company got together with some big shot over at the Bun Company and decided to rip off the American public. Because they think the American public is a bunch of trusting nitwits who'll pay for things they don't need rather than make a stink. Well, they're not ripping off this nitwit anymore because I'm not paying for one more thing I don't need. George Banks is saying no! Who's George Banks? Me! why don't we just calm down now sir i'll tell you why we don't calm down because you're not excited it takes two people for a we to calm down doesn't it uh that i don't know sir i'm just the assistant manager of a supermarket but i'll tell you this if you don't pipe down and pay for those buns, i'm gonna call the police oh right yeah Uh yeah right That's right. Hey. Right. Hey. Hey, come here. Uh -uh. Come here. Uh -uh. Come here. Uh -uh. Uh -uh. Uh -uh. That was the low point. Flipping out over four hot dog buns. Okay, who can relate to that? Uh, Have you ever felt the strain, the pressures of what you're dealing with and feel like you're just going to flip out over superfluous buns? How do we avoid doing that? Now, you may be thinking, all right, Martin, I, I understand everything you've said, but the things that you have gone through were very positive and pleasant. And you may be sitting here this morning thinking, I'm dealing with a lot of pain right now. My situations aren't positive, they're negative. What do I do there? It might be a relationship has or is about to break down. Or a door that you thought was going to be wide open has been closed abruptly. You might be struggling with finances or or work or any number of things, but you're in the middle of a storm right now. And you don't know how to put one step in front of the other. I want you to know that I've been there. It wasn't too long ago that I didn't know How to put one step in front of another. So I believe that the message that we have this morning, what God wants to say to us, is going to speak to all of our situations. He's going to deal with all kinds of strain and stress and pressure and storm. So the title to this morning's message is this. How to go from distressed to blessed. Yeah, from distressed to blessed. Blessed. How to find peace in life's storms. Now, let me repeat that. From distressed to blessed. How to find peace in life's storms. And before I get to the first point, let me give you the roadmap so that you know the direction in which we're going. So I'll get to the first point in just a moment. But generally, you're going to see three movements in the text this morning. You're going to see one that calls us to refocus on God. A second one that calls us to remember everything that he's done for us. And then the third and final one, to remember who he is. So refocusing on God, remembering what God's done for us, and then remembering who he is. And we're going to be in Psalm 103. Psalm 103. So feel free to open your Bible or switch on your electronic device, go to the app. But the verses will be behind me as well. So if the question is, how do I find peace in life's storms? Then we start over here with point number one, we refocus on God. We refocus on God. So let me start reading Psalm 103. I'll just read the first verse initially, Psalm 103, verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. This is a psalm of David. We're not entirely sure at what point in his life he wrote it. But it's fascinating that it begins with this call to bless God. What does that mean? If you've been in a church or in a Christian environment for any period of time, you're probably familiar with the word bless or blessed. If, in fact, if you go onto social media, choose whatever social media is your preference and search for the hashtag bless or blessed, you're going to find people with a new car, or a new outfit, a new job, a new home, on vacation. Is that what this means? Am I to somehow figure out how to give God stuff? I can't be right. He's the creator. How can the creature give the creator something? So it's clearly not that. It's not the way that we use bless or bless today. So it needs to be something else. Bless the Lord? Is this how we use the word bless your heart, the phrase bless your heart here in the South? Yeah, is that what this is? You know, we're in our 17th year here in the United States, and when we first came over, we moved to the Dallas area. And uh, I was uh, you know, I was pleasantly surprised. People would come up to me and they would say, oh, bless your heart. I oh, thought, you people are so nice. And then I realized, this is like some passive aggressive way of saying, you moron. <laughs> I wanted to say, people, just can you say what you want to say? Anyway, so it's clearly not that, right? So what is it? Bless the Lord. The best way to describe this word is, is this, actually. Because the word bless means kneel. Or, perhaps a little more literally, it means to lie prostrate on the ground. You see, it's a word that means worship. And that's why some of your translations will say, praise the Lord. It's a pretty good translation. Worship God with all that is within me. That's everything. That's not just a presence here on a Sunday morning, but it's thoughts. It's the thoughts in your mind right now, it's the words that we speak, it's our actions, it's the things that we allow ourselves to look at. With all that I am, we are to worship God. The first step in finding peace in a storm of life, dealing with stress and pressure, is to change the focus, the focus away from the immediate, from ourselves, from what we're looking at, and to look up with our entire being, with all of who we are, and to worship God. Over this last year, I uh, actually found myself talking to a counselor. I went into counseling. By the way, sidebar for a moment. I'm really glad that I belong to a church like The Gathering, where it's okay to not be okay. And you need to know this about us at the gathering. Uh, you don't need to try to be perfect or to paint a picture that doesn't really exist before you come in. You come in as you are. And if that's in a mess and in bits and imperfect, then come in in bits and imperfect. Because that's the reality of life. And anyone tells you that they're always okay and they're never wrong, they just flat out lying. Uh, And I I really admire our lead pastor, John Mark Redwine, who talks very publicly about his struggles and about counseling. And John Mark encouraged me to, uh, to see a counselor. So I've been seeing a counselor. And one of the things I have found very helpful is that he said, look, when you feel that those plates are dropping, when you feel that you're about to flip out over superfluous buns, ground yourself. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, Find something and use all five senses to remind yourself that something's real. Because often during strain and stress, we focus on things that aren't real. Our mind tells stories that don't really exist or haven't yet happened. And so he said, use your five senses. Look at something. Smell something. Taste something. Touch something. Hear something. And the reason I share that is because David is about to do the same thing in Psalm 103. So he wants us to refocus on God, and he's now going to tell us how, which is number two. How do I refocus on God? We remember everything that he's done for us. Remember everything he's done for us. So here's Psalm 103, verse 2. Bless the Lord. Worship. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. It's a strange word there, benefits. Uh, if you work, if you've got employment, you might be thinking, is this like health insurance, dental insurance, 401k? Uh, no, of course it's not. Uh, a good translation for the word would be accomplishments. We worship God and we don't forget everything he's accomplished for us through Jesus. And if we're not certain what that is, David's now going to give us a list. All right, so first of all, What has God accomplished for us? He forgives us. He forgives us. Psalm 103, just the first part of verse 3. Who? God. Who forgives all your iniquity, sin, iniquity. God, through Christ, has forgiven all of our sin. And if you allow me just to get technical for a moment, okay? This word forgives, it's, it's a verb, obviously. It's actually what we call a participle. And all that means is it's a kind of verb that's ongoing all the time. So David could well have written here, God has forgiven all your sin, is in the process of forgiving all your sin, your current sin, and will forgive all of your future sin. And some of you need to hear that this morning. You're wrestling either with what has been or with what is right now. And you need to hear God forgives you. God forgives you through faith in Christ, which we'll get to. And in fact, I'm just going to jump ahead a little to reinforce that. So Psalm 103, let me just go down to verse 10. I'll read 10, 11, and 12. Psalm 103, verse 10. He, God, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love. Come back to that really important phrase. So great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. David is saying here, God does not repay you according to what you have done. And we, we wrestle with this because we live in a culture that does repay us based upon what we have done. So if on the way home today, yeah, if you're speeding, you may get a speeding ticket. You speed, there's a penalty. Yeah, if later on today, if I punch someone in the nose... I'm likely to get arrested and charged with assault and battery, yeah? There will be consequences that fit my crime. Our entire legal system is built on the premise you will be repaid for what you have done. That is not at all God's system of forgiveness. He does not repay us based on what we've done. Too many of us have what's called karma Christianity. K-A-R-M-A. Boomerang spirituality. If I do good, I get good. But if I do bad, I'm going to get bad back. That's such a nonsense. That's not at all what the Bible teaches us. He does not repay you for what you have done. And in fact, we've got a couple of illustrations. As high as the heavens are above the earth. Now think here, universe. You need to tonight... Go out into darkness or get away of the lights of Asheville or wherever you live, maybe go up on the parkway or something, and assuming there's no cloud cover, you need to just sit and you need to look up. And you need to see the expanse of infinity that is the universe. And as you're doing that, you need to remind yourself, as far away as those stars are that I can't even comprehend... That's an example of how far away God has removed my sin through Jesus Christ. And there's another illustration, as far as the east is from the west. Very specific terminology, by the way. It's not as far as north is from south. You see, if I was to hike up to the North Pole, I can physically stand on the North Pole. And the moment I step across that, I'm heading south. Not so with east and west. You could start walking today east and spend the rest of your life walking east, and east will never meet west. And this is what David's saying. That's an example of the forgiveness that we have through Jesus Christ. He forgives us. Secondly, he heals us. He heals us. So Psalm 103, now the second part of verse 3. Psalm 103, verse 3b. Who? God. So he heals all your diseases. He heals all your diseases. Now from a spiritual standpoint, our greatest disease is sin. And we'll talk a little more about this in just a moment. But through Christ, we have been healed of sin. So we have spiritual healing. But there's something more here. There's physical healing as well. This is a difficult area to talk about actually. I mean, our bodies, we have been created by God, and they do physically heal. So, between Christmas and New Year, where everyone in South Asheville lost their water, by the way, I had COVID, uh, but I healed. I was sick, but I healed. A couple of weeks ago, I had a nasty slice on my, my wedding ring finger, but it's healed. My body's capable of healing. But does God really heal? I imagine some of you this morning, your storm is your health or someone you love or is close to, it's their health and you're wondering, can God really heal them? And for a time, I believe that the real healings that count were limited to what you read in the Bible and that, yeah, God just doesn't do that these days. And then I went to Africa on a mission trip a number of years ago. We were a part of a small mission team. And uh, we were in a, a, a northern, a very remote city in part of Ghana, uh, sub-Saharan Africa. And we were touring a variety of different places. And uh, one of the places we visited was a hospital, a remote hospital. And while we were there, the doctor was showing various patients to us. And he led us to the bedside of a, of a five-year-old girl. And he said, I'm really sorry, but there's nothing that we can do for her. She's, uh, she's in her, her last hours. He said, you see, she was out playing in a field, and she was bitten by a snake. She fell down. She was unable to move. She was left there overnight, and the mosquitoes got to her, and she has malaria, and her snake bite is just beyond anything we can treat with. He said, it's it's just a matter of time. She's going to die. Maybe you would like to pray for her. And the group kind of looked at me. I have no idea to this day why they looked at me. Um, And I thought, well, okay, I'll pray for her. And I thought... I mean, the doctor said she's going to die, right? But maybe I should still pray for healing. And I prayed that she would be healed. And I feel you know, still to this day ashamed to say I didn't believe my prayer. So we left the hospital. And um, a couple of days later, we had a call to go back to the hospital. And uh, we all thought that they wanted us to pick up the tab for this little girl who died because we were the last ones to come into contact with her. And we pulled up at the hospital, and that five-year-old walked right up to us. And the doctor said, I cannot explain this. And every misconception I had of God was blown away that day. And I realized I had been putting God in my box and said, oh, you can't deal with that. Boy, was I wrong. But there's another side to this, isn't there? Some people aren't healed. What do we do with that? I have an older sister in England. She's two and a half years uh, older than me. She has heart failure. She has done for a number of years. Her heart is working at 30 percent of what it should do and she's been told she needs a heart transplant. And I've prayed for her for years and to to this date, to today, she's not been healed. What do I do with that? What about the people that you pray for that aren't healed in a way that we think they should be healed? I wish I had a great answer I don't still to this day I don't know what to do with that other than a couple of things I believe that God can heal in every situation I believe that we're called to pray for healing and I believe he can heal but I do sometimes see even in the Bible people weren't healed when they prayed do you know the Apostle Paul prayed for something over and over and over and over again and God never healed him we actually think he went blind perhaps cataracts as we would understand them today he wasn't healed. Timothy, he's right-hand man. Timothy had some sort of spiritual, uh, stomach condition. Uh, he wasn't healed of that. Paul writes about it when he writes to Timothy. So there are times when physically it seems as though healing doesn't take place. But the hope through Jesus is the resurrection of this body, which means when we do leave this life, When we are called into eternity, like Jesus was resurrected with a perfect form, so too through Christ we will one day be healed of all physical ailments. So keep praying for healing. And by the way, please ignore anyone that says you don't have enough faith. I think that's absolute nonsense. It's certainly not consistent with Scripture. Keep praying and knowing that, yes, one day there is healing. He heals us. He forgives us. He heals us. All right, something else he does. He holds to us. He, God, has hold of us. And some of you in your storm this morning, you need to hear this because it feels as though you, you, you're barely grasping anything that's swirling around you. Well, you need to know that God has hold of you. Psalm 103, <clears throat> verse 4. Uh, he who, God, he, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. He takes your life through Christ. He redeems it. You see, David here is describing something that we're going to come along and understand much more in the New Testament. So John would write in John three sixteen, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes would not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, we believe that Scripture teaches that we are born sinful, separated from God, with only an eternal destination of hell. And that's an unpopular statement, but that's the reality. But it's through Christ that we're redeemed from that pit. And we've got like, like this metaphorical statement, God crowns us. Did you watch uh, King Charles III's coronation you know, earlier on this year? Do you see the moment that the coronation crown is, is put on his head? That's a $5 billion item going on King Charles's head. And yet the reality is we're crowned by God through Christ with something much more valuable. His steadfast love. Now I mentioned this before, I said I'd come back to it. So this phrase, steadfast love, it is a Hebrew, one word in Hebrew. In fact, if you were to write it out phonetically, it would be uh, H-E-S-E-D, which it looks like hesed. But there's no H in the Hebrew alphabet, so it's this guttural chesed. But it means unconditional, unbreakable, covenant love. That's what God has for his people. And did you notice the movement? So he redeems you. He crowns you. Listen. Folks, it's not our hold of God that saved us in the first place. Scripture's really clear about that. It's not by works. It's all by grace. So if it's not our hold of God that saved us in the first place, it's not our hold of God that will continue to have us saved. It's God's hold of us. And in the middle of your strain and your stress and your pressure and your storm, you may feel like, oh, my goodness, I just, I'm letting go of everything. God's not let go of you. He's holding onto you in the middle of it. In fact, He's going to strengthen you for the very difficulty that you're facing. Something else He does that we need to remember that He's accomplished for us. He strengthens us for every difficulty. Psalm 103 verse 5, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like an eagle. So you've got a statement and you've got an example. God satisfies you with goodness. Now satisfying. I kind of want more than satisfying. Yeah, we use this word today. It's like, how are you? It's like, you know, meh. Yeah. What was the sermon like? It was satisfactory. It's not at all what David's saying here. And the best way I could illustrate it is, imagine if I had a table right here, and uh, let's say I was buying my wife Fiona a bunch of flowers, and I had to put them in water, so I've got a vase on this table, and I've got a jug of water, and so I'm going to pour water into the vase. So if I pour half of the water into the vase, so it's half full, it's satisfactory. But if I keep pouring and pouring and pouring and pouring and pouring until that thing just overflows everywhere, that's what David's saying. The good that he is doing all around you is overflowing and he is going to strengthen you. The example of the eagle, of uh, being renewed in the eagle, the eagle is constantly used as a, a metaphor for strength in the Bible. God is going to strengthen you. He is at work around you, although perhaps right now you can't see it. But there's more. He will right every wrong. God writes every wrong. So Psalm 103, now verse 6. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. You could think God works just in just ways for everyone who's being wronged, for everyone who is treated unfairly, which may be where you are right now. Your storm may actually not be of your own making. It might be something or circumstances that's happened to you beyond which you had no control. And you may think, this is unfair. This is not just God is a God of justice, and we see this from Genesis to Revelation. He's constantly working for the oppressed, and he's working right now. And although you may want to vindicate yourself, you may want to seek revenge, God says, leave that to me. It's part of the business that I'm in, he says. I'll right this wrong in my way, in my time. Just know right now, I have you, I'm holding you, I see you. He's going to right every wrong. And finally, before we move on here, he is going to create the way forward. What does God do? He creates the way forward. Psalm 103, verse 7. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. This is fascinating. This is a description of God at work when there seemed to be no way forward. So we had a series not too long ago called Binge the Bible. Our lead pastor, John Mark, was taking us through different books, and he took us through Exodus. And the main part of the story in Exodus is the Israelites were visitors in Egypt. Over a series of 400 years, they became slaves in Egypt, and God sent Moses to lead them out of slavery. And as Moses is doing that, he's leading the Israelites forward, and then they hit a sea. There's no bridge, there's no ferry, there's no boat. The Egyptians are all of a sudden, they've changed their mind. The Egyptian army is sort of barreling down on the Israelites. It's like, God, what are you doing? There's no way forward. And God just parts the water miraculously. They get to the other side. There's no water. There's nothing to drink. They're in the desert. God says, tap that rock right there. Yeah, there's fresh water in it. Moses taps the rock. Fresh water comes gushing out. They're in the desert. There's no food. God, what are you doing? I'll provide every day. In fact, something's going to miraculously come down while you're asleep, and you're going to eat that for 40 years. And then Joshua comes along, and, and Joshua's leading the people into the promised land. And God says, oh, yeah, go across that raging river right there. And as they step into it, the river dries up. And as they get into the promised land, they need to take a city and they come across the most fortified city in the world. And God says, yeah, just walk around it. Don't attack it. God is in the business of making a way forward when everything seems impossible from our perspective. And if right now, if that's where you are, if you're barely trying to figure out what the next step is, you say, how on earth Is there a way forward through this? You believe in a God who deals with those particular circumstances. So how do I respond with strain, with stress, with pressure, with storm? How do I respond to a storm of life? First of all, we refocus on God. We turn the attention away from everything that's raging around and we worship. We ground ourselves spiritually By remembering everything he's done for us. How he forgives us. How he's able to heal us. That he's got hold of us. That he's strengthening us and working around us. That he is the God who can deal with oppression and injustice. And that he's the God that can make the way forward. And then, the final thing we do is we need to remember who he is. We need to remind ourselves something about the character of God. Number three. Remember who he is. Psalm 103, verse 8. The Lord, who is he? He's merciful. He's gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding, overflowing in this this steadfast love, this chesed, this covenant love. We live in a context today that says, God, who's he? He's angry. And jealous, restrictive, full of rules and regulations. He's wrathful. He's not a God who knows you, who sees you. And yet right here, and by the way, David's quoting from Exodus chapter 34. And this is where Exodus chapter 34 is found. You see, in Exodus chapter 32, Moses is on top of Mount Sinai. He's getting the, the, uh, the Ten Commandments he goes down, he's been gone for a number of days and Israel's just given up hope on God where's this God now? and so they decide to make their own God they made a golden calf, they began worshipping a golden calf and God in that situation like if I was God, I would zap them all seriously? okay, you're all gone there you go, just me now, okay me, the son, the spirit I'd wipe everyone out in the worst possible way good job I'm not God, right? that's not what he does he says to Moses in that situation that's Exodus 30, uh, 32 it, it, two chapters later he said Moses this is, this is the deep the element of my character I'm merciful that is I don't give people what they deserve that's what mercy is I'm gracious I give to people something that they've never earned I'm slow to anger, I'm patient And I have this unconditional love for those who are mine. You need to hear this morning, this next little bit on the outline there, that uh, he's not mad with us. God is not mad at you. God is not angry at you. David talks about this. Psalm 103, verse 9. He will not always chide, I'll explain that, nor Will he keep his anger forever? The word chide has an idea of a lawsuit. God's not preparing a case against you to reveal one day in eternity saying, ha, ha ha told you you were a wreck. He's not angry with you. Now he may discipline you for a time for your good and we sometimes struggle a little to see that. But in the same way that I believe that someone needs to hear that God forgives you, I also believe that someone needs to hear he's not mad at you at all. The exact opposite. He loves you so much. He is a God of inexhaustible compassion. Inexhaustible compassion. Last thing I'll read Psalm 103, verse 13. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Now I'm a dad, and there's nothing I wouldn't do for my children. Uh, Olivia's 22, Nathan's 23, and I feel I, 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 would, I would literally give my last breath for them. And we've moved all over the place, obviously, from England to the United States, from Dallas to Chicago to Asheville, etc. and I've always really wrestled with this as a dad, and I've always thought, well, what is this gonna do to my children? Um, and it's always been something that I, I've really struggled with, And Fiona, my wife, has often come alongside of me and she said, You love Nathan and Olivia, the kids, right? I said, Yeah, absolutely. I'd do anything for them. And she's always said, Okay, think how much more God loves them. You think you have compassion as their dad, their earthly dad? How much more care, love, grace, mercy do you think the one who created them has for them? And he's helped me every single time. God has compassion on you this morning wherever your journey whatever path has led you to this morning he sees you he knows you through Christ he forgives you he has your future your present and your past in his hand the pathway forward is is his which leads me to where I'm going to finish for today some of you here will know God in this way through your faith in Christ and I would imagine that someone here this morning and you, you don't You're over here, you know that you can't cope, you know there have been mistakes, You might even be in one right now, and by the way, those of us who have faith are still in our mistakes, but you realize you just can't do it by yourself anymore, and the good news is that you don't need to, because that's why Jesus went to the cross. You see, Christ took the punishment we deserved. He stood in our place. He made things right with God. And the resurrection is the hope of the life, not just this life through Christ, but the life to come. And so some of you right now this morning, you need to step over. You say, God, I I don't understand it all. I don't have a, a seminary degree or whatever. Great, you don't need that right now. All you need to know is that Jesus Christ died for your sin. He rose from the grave to give you new life now and everlasting life. So I'm going to pray for us all, but specifically for anyone here who needs to take that step this morning. Father, I thank you for the privilege of this time. I thank you that you've given us this morning. And I I pray for for anyone here who is struggling in a storm. I ask that they would be encouraged by your word, that perhaps encouraged to, to memorize even this psalm to help them through the storm, to remind them of your goodness. But if there's anyone here right now who does not yet know you through faith in Christ, I pray that you would open their hearts and draw them to yourself and help them to see Jesus. To help them to pray, Father, please forgive me. I know who I am and where I am is not where I should be and I don't want to continue in this state. I believe that Your love for me is so great that you sent your son Jesus for me. And I believe that through his death and resurrection, I too could have new life now and into eternity. Forgive me and help me start afresh today. So Father, we we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.